Hello, my friends. Welcome to the All Worth It podcast. Every week on the show, we have a conversation about change. Sometimes it's change that's happened to us, and sometimes it's change we go looking for. But just remember, it will be all worth it. Welcome to the podcast. Super excited for today's guest. When I first thought about doing a podcast, the first interviewee that came to my mind, it wasn't even a question, is the person that I have memory of knowing the longest. So actually, the first memory I have involves this fella. So super excited to introduce to you, Stephen, today, um, my baby brother. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. <laughs> yeah, super excited to to chat. Um, I mean, we talk often, but, you know, professionally. This is a little different format, but this will work. <laughs> Very different from our normal conversations. One of the reasons that I wanted to interview Stephen today is because he has been through quite a bit of transition in his life, um, but he also made a pretty big decision. Was it five or six years ago? This is the this is five, five years, years now. to um, yeah. So I want to talk to him about the decision that he made um, and how it impacted his life. So super excited for you to get to know him better. Um, I'm sure at some point he'll be back on the podcast because. There's kind of a sibling obligation, um, but huge fan of his, have always been. We have a really weird situation, and a lot of people talk about growing up with siblings fighting a lot. Um, I don't know if it was because we just really liked each other when we were younger or we weren't allowed, but we pretty much always gotten along. I would agree. You know, there were times you I needed you to get in more trouble to kind of help me out, but <laughs> that was uh, true to your personality. You persevered and... Kept me on the straight and narrow. It was a full-time job. It was a full-time job before it... my other full-time jobs. <laughs> that is the truth. You turned out real nice, though. I'm pleased with my work here. Well, and it's it's funny looking at my job now that that's uh, kind of our roles growing up, but <laughs> maybe it's for the best. <laughs> I think it is. So why don't you tell our listeners who don't knew, know who you are or what you do um, a little bit about your life? Perfect. Uh, my name is Stephen Blackburn, and I'm Amber's little brother by two years, so she's kept me in line my whole life. Uh, we spent a lot of time together over the years. Um, so growing up, you know, I loved sports, loved getting my hands into whatever I could, um, and kind of fell into my job. Uh, I, I was certain I was going to be a professional baseball player, but that became apparent that, that wasn't going to be true by about my sophomore year <laughs> of high school. Uh, so I had to adjust course. Um, I actually have been in education for a long time, so I went some interesting places with it early on. Uh, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about that later, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, but I taught fourth grade for about 10 years, and this is my fifth year as an assistant principal. Um, personally, I have two dogs that are kind of my fill-in children right now, um, for and my wife, Ashley, who is expecting a baby, which is awesome. So I'll have a little baby boy sometime in February, so they tell me. Um, so that's going to be incredible. Uh, it's a lot different than dogs because you can leave the dogs all day and not have to worry <laughs> too much. And now we get a lot of other things to figure out. So it's really an exciting time. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of the ins and outs of my life. Okay, so a few things we need to discuss. First of all, you're promoting me to aunt. So my excitement level is... It's real high, yep. real, real high. So I'm, I'm ready. I feel like I've been pre-gaming for this for a while. So I am, I'm ready. Put me in. Um, I'll bring, I'm bringing, I'm bringing my A game to the ant role. 
and then your dogs, let's talk about them because you know, they've been important for a while. What are their names? Rosie and Norman. Rosie's about a 75 pound blue pit bull and Norman is about a 70 pound mix of a million things. They're both shelter dogs. They are absolute best friends. Um, very different personalities. Norm's very skittish. Rosie has never met a stranger and loves sleeping on top of people. So uh, there are times she looks as if she's as big as Ashley, um, which is my wife again, um, <laughs> but they are thick as thieves. And Rosie spends most of her time following Ashley through the house and sitting on top of her. So that's them Rosie, in a nutshell. Rosie runs the house. Yeah. She, be real. She's got a lot of things going on. A lot of gas, um, never <laughs> quite knows what's happening. Uh, she's always late to the party, but she's, she's happy. Her personality is, a, is, is big, but Norm, I mean, I worked really hard to earn trust with Norman cause he had a, he had a rough beginning and he and I now are good friends, but he's so sweet. I love him. He is. I didn't tell you he got to go for a run the other day. He used to run Ooh. a lot. He actually got up to run like 10 miles at a time with me, but then Rosie joined us and partially tore her ACL. So now she doesn't like letting him out of the house because she goes berserk and runs through the house barking and howling. So I snuck him out, got a run in. He was very excited, but uh, very tired. He hasn't moved for the last couple of days. <laughs> oh, poor boy. Well, give him some extra treats for from Aunt Amber. Will do. Later on. Okay, so you mentioned your occupation. You became an elementary education major in college. How did you arrive at that major? Uh, I was going to be a pediatric speech pathologist. Um, I didn't know what to do. I was the first one to leave to go away to college and wasn't exactly certain how that was supposed to work out. So I didn't really have a clear cut path as to what to do in college. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of trans, I did not like pediatric speech pathology at all. I really did not enjoy the class. So I started looking at other things that worked with kids and I got into elementary education. You had a pretty cool experience. I believe it was your junior or senior year of college. What did you, what'd you do that year? Um, I actually went to a job fair and there were all these camps from all over the, the country that were trying to recruit people to come work at their camps. So I found this one, I was like, this looks like it's on an island and was very interested in that and talked to the uh, gentleman there who was doing all the hiring and he set up an interview with me and uh, I got selected to go work there. So I worked on Catalina Island, which is off the coast of San Diego, which was an incredible job. Uh, came back for my senior year and then I went and taught on a Navajo reservation in Southeast Utah. Uh, which was an incredible experience, especially as a white male to not fit in um, and understand that kind of tension that that is in those moments. Um, even if it was only for a couple months, it was a great experience for me just to understand what it feels like to be an outsider. And I came back really interested in just kind of furthering my, you know, the edges of my comfort zone. And I went back out to Catalina Island and stayed for the environmental program that they had. So we'd have kids anywhere from 16 years old uh, at really expensive um, Hollywood Hills private schools. And then two days later, you'd have new kids coming from, you know, downtown LA who had never even seen the ocean. So they would stay with us for a week or two at a time. We'd take them snorkeling, kayaking. Uh, it was really an incredible job um, and made me understand a little better of how to relate to people and the ins and outs of, you know, the environmental sustainability and our role in that, but it was a, a great moment in my life. Yeah, it was really cool. I got to come visit. You did you come. For we went snorkeling. 
We did. With the leopard sharks. It was fantastic. And you took me kayaking and there was something else that we did that day. So it was like you had been teaching kids to do things for the first time all summer and then you got to teach your older sister to do things for the first time. You really liked the leopard sharks, if I remember. I really liked those orange fish. Garibaldi. Garibaldi. California state fish. I enjoyed those. The sharks, not so much, but it was beautiful. That's really cool. Um, So... You kind of started, as I think about your story, you just started going for opportunities as they came along. So when you took the position teaching, um, you started off, it was a maternity leave, right, that you took over for? Mm -hmm. I uh, didn't want to be in Indiana. Uh, I was dead set on moving back out to California. Um, And it was at the height of the recession. So people in my life like you have to take that job if they're offering you a permanent teaching position right now you have to take that job and i was dead set on moving i my interviews i had didn't pan out because it was fields that i had no interest in or not interest or no um background or uh, any experience in so i then had the great idea that i was going to be a personal trainer um (laughs) in like a niche market this new workout tool that they were putting into personal personal training studios that I was going to be training on. And a lot of older people in my life were like, do not take that job. You have to go into education. And I begrudgingly listened to them and did it. um, And ended up obviously being a lot better choice than the path I was on um, in terms of, you know, it's hard to keep a personal training job afloat in the middle of a recession. So it ended up being a good move. So you started in third grade, if I remember correctly, and then Mm -hmm. you got transferred to fourth grade. And so you had been a fourth grade teacher for a couple of years before. Uh, I was a fourth grade teacher for nine years. Wow. Maybe 10, nine or 10. I don't remember. Okay. So what happened about five years ago? Came across the Lilly Teacher Creativity Grant and, um, Lilly, which is a huge pharmaceutical company in Indiana, does a lot in the community. And one of the things they do is they pass out uh, teacher fellowships. So they give you $10,000 to 100 teachers in the state to go do something that rejuvenates you. And they specifically say it has nothing to do with you becoming a better professional teacher. They want you to be refreshed as a human being. Uh, So they accept applications for all kinds of activities. And I wrote one to go to... South Africa, uh, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Zambia, uh, to kind of check out the natural predators and how they interact with species. So uh, the first part, I was over there and went cage diving with great whites and on safaris and cage diving with crocodiles and um, had just an incredible experience on an overland safari. So we rode in this big, almost like bus all around Southern Africa for two and a half, three weeks. Uh, And then luckily I had written in that I wanted to also go out West. So I had extra money um, to go visit like Glacier National Park in Yellowstone. So I took your, your dear host here with me (laughs) and we went out to visit a bunch of national parks out West, which was an awesome experience. Oh, it's one of my favorite trips ever. Uh, We saw a bear. Yeah. That was pretty incredible. Coyote, elk, uh, bison. A lot of bison burgers. Oh, you ate a lot of bison burgers. I yeah. ate so much. Once I'd made eye contact with the bison, I couldn't do it. But Yeah, I think they, I mean, when we had that really nice dinner at the 
covered covered wagon place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with the the themed wagons you crawled into and set. You know, I think for the people, I'll actually put put some pictures somewhere on social media so people can appreciate that. I'll share some pictures was, from that trip. It was unreal that restaurant, but the trip was incredible. Um, we saw so many different aspects of life, and we went. It wasn't very crowded, which was great because you hear horror stories of just sitting in traffic in those parks which is quite the shame but yeah like the glacier national park they're going to the sun road oh, uh, was so incredible good. so good yeah yeah so i'm interrupting my own podcast which then does that make it not rude that i'm interrupting mm, we'll go with it i need to ask you for two favors First of all, however you listen to this podcast, whatever platform you use, would you do me a favor and subscribe? This way it makes it really easy for you. Every time you release a new episode, it downloads straight to your device. If you could do me a second favor as well, if you could leave us a review, it would be super helpful. It's not like I'm trying to get your words of affirmation, although I'll gladly take them, but any positive review helps other people find the podcast. So it would be great if you could leave us just a couple comments about why you like the All Worth It podcast. Finally, thank you so much for listening. It means so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, now back to the podcast. So it was around that time you also applied for another – you applied for a fellowship, correct? Yeah, and I I actually – I think it was a month or two after, and I was needing a good break at this point. I was like, I need something to do all right. So I get the teacher creativity grant. I was like, can't get better than this. This is incredible. So I planned my trip, and um, I remember I was at work, and I got a letter from University of Indianapolis, the Woodrow Wilson Foundation, um, and I'd already applied for this job. I can go – I could go into what the screening was like for that if, if you'd like. Sure. Um, I had never really been in an interview because <laughs> I had taken a pregnancy leave. So I'd been kind of lucky. And I, I find out about this job through my then principal, Bruce Haddix. It's like, you should, you should try out for this fellowship. Um, it's to get you a building administrator degree. Um, think you could do it. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I don't think I'd be good at it. And he's like, I just think you should look into it. It's fully funded. So I didn't put together my best application because I was kind of focused on the teacher creativity grant. Well, I get an interview for it. So I show up and I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And I walk in, they told us there's nothing you could do to prep for it. And the guy meets me at a um, hall on University of Annapolis campus and gives me three questions. He's like, these are the things you need to be knowing when you, as you head into this interview. Okay. They bring me into the room. There's three people interviewing me. One's a behavioralist, one's a professor, and one is the person asking the questions. And it was the most intense hour and a half, I think, of my life because they would ask you a question. And as you wrap up your response, they'd say, is there anything else you'd like to add to that? And at first you're like thinking you need to add stuff. And then you're like, am I supposed to be definitive and just say I'm good? Uh, and then they asked about a moment that stuck with me from teaching. And I'll never forget, I started answering it and the interviewer just goes, stop, just wait. That's not what we want you to do. I want you to answer this as if this is a movie chapter in your life. What are the headings of the movie? Tell me the different parts. I wanna know the climactic moment and then how you came to a consensus for your next steps. Okay, so it changed the whole thing. I was like, I've never thought that an interviewer would just stop me in the middle of my answer and tell me he wouldn't be just different. So they just are seeing how you respond, what you do and 
they kept that up for an hour and a half. I left thinking if someone ever asked me again, is there anything else I want to add to that? I might <laughs> lose my mind. Um, I'm taking a mental note right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I uh, actually got accepted to that program, uh, which I was shocked by. Um, and I was like, things are going too well. Where, when are things going to fall off the cliff here? Um, and I, I left for Africa and I got back, I think, on a Friday or a Saturday that summer and I started classes the next day. Um, and when I say I started classes, they crammed two master's degrees into two summers. So we had 10 hours of classes, six days a week straight. I was with a cohort of about 18 people. There were two cohorts operating at the same time. So we would get to school at 8 a.m. We would get a one hour lunch uh, and then we would go straight through till 6 p.m. Uh, they did not make exceptions. I missed one day in two summers because one of my best friends got married and they would not let me miss more than one day. So I literally caught planes, trains, and actually automobiles to get to a wedding and back in two and a half days. Um, but it was intense. Very, very, very intense. And as you know, I'm very ADD. So sitting in a room for 10 hours a day, I thought I was going to lose my mind. I remember some conversations about that. Yeah, it was a long road. Yeah. So what about the program? What excited you about being a part of that program? Um, I think a lot of it was I didn't have the, I didn't have financially the way to go back to school for, uh, for grad school. Um, they, in, in my p profession, they had made it earlier on where if you got a master's degree, you would get a bigger pay bump. Well, at the school I was at, that didn't exist at the time. Um, and I was excited because they just said, hey, here's what we need you to do. I mean, they gave us like room and board stipends. I didn't need any of that. So I was like, it's kind of like I'm getting paid to go back to school as well. So that was incredibly exciting to me. And just some of the courses that it blended uh, business with school. And that approach was really unique. And I knew that the people in there were pretty qualified. Uh, so I kind of felt outmatched initially. I was like, man, I do not belong in this program. Um, so I had to battle that quite a bit. Yeah. What, well, that goes into my next question. What scared you about it? I just didn't want to fail at it. And I was like, I'm going to look like a clown. Um, if I answer something completely off kilter here, I'm going to look ridiculous and people are going to laugh at me. Uh, it's, it brings back all those emotions of, you know, maybe I'm not going to be good at this. I bit off more than I should chew. I shouldn't be here because you get there and, you know, the roll call of who's there. Well, I'm this, this, and this. People are very you know, they're wanting to climb the ladder. So they're staying all their finer attributes that they bring to the table. And you just feel outgunned when people are like, yeah, I've done this and this, and I work here and I'm on this committee and this, I started this program at my school and you're, well, I teach fourth grade. Yeah. Um, and I just, I felt like I didn't bring any unique perspective um, educationally, yeah. but I learned quickly that I had those that just you, I think every human fights that fear of, I'm not enough to be in this situation. Mm -hmm. I think as well, and and I'm not, this isn't a, a judgment statement. It's just fact. In our family, there had not been a huge focus on higher education. So it was kind of like you got your degree and that was it. We have a couple of cousins who went that route. And I don't, I don't think you have to go the higher education route, but it would just wasn't something that we were trained to do. We kind of figured it out as we went. So then to be in a situation where you know you don't have an educational experience or backing that matches the people that you're around, it can feel intimidating. 
yeah, you're really, uh, you're in way over your head. Yeah. So, uh, and kind of like you said, you're like, man, I already overachieved by getting a college degree. I don't have any business being in this. So you're fighting the, the narrative you've told yourself for many years. So sometimes you have to really push that comfort zone because there's days where you're like, oh, I shouldn't even be here. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like, uh, <laughs> if they really knew <laughs> they would be yep. like, um, okay, so here's the door. Yep. Yeah. So I know we, we talked a little bit of some obstacles that you faced, you know, you were working as a teacher full-time during the school year. And I know, I remember that there were some days during the school year that you would spend your Saturday in a cohort. Um, and there was homework that happened pretty much year round, even in that. So other than time and maybe feeling that you weren't qualified to be there, what other obstacles did you have to deal with? Mm. Those were definitely the big things. But I mean, as you're saying, I mean, my whole weekends were spent doing Saturday, we would have if we had class Saturday, it was eight to six on Saturday. And then on Sundays, we'd usually I'd usually just do my work. Um, so I was trying to balance teaching as well as doing everything. We had projects that we had to complete for grad school throughout the school year. So you'd try to get information from people around the district, then you'd piece all that together. So I had a lot of people that I would work with, um, a few friends that we'd spend a lot of weekends, you know, kind of working together and spending time trying to get everything caught up. And I think one thing that was important that I did learn in those Saturdays, the people that you spend time with and there, you think they've got it all figured out, but whatever you're feeling, you know, insecure about a lot of times they have that on another level as well, um, where they don't feel like they match up to the rest of the group. So I think it's a constant battle for people to find the place that they think they belong. Um, and it's not just the, everyone feels like they don't fit in certain aspects of whatever environment it is. And we're all at some point kind of just pretending, hoping, Oh yeah. Hoping to get through. One of um, my closest friends at, when I was trying to learn a new job, I asked her like, how do you know everything? And she told me it's smoke and mirrors. And I actually have it on a plaque and it is goodness. In launching this business, I feel it all the time where it's just like, you don't even know how much I'm Googling. Like it's just, there's a lot of it that I don't think anyone feels qualified for some of the environments that you find yourself in. But when you just calm yourself down and and work on, okay, I'm going to appear pulled together. I'm going to appear, not that you're trying to lie to people, but I think that there's a little bit that we can trick ourselves into kind of performing to what we, we know more than we think we might. And so we can kind of trick our brains into saying, okay, we got this, we can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what, what do you think would be some of the reasons that you succeeded in that change in your life? Because obviously, well, not obviously, we haven't, I don't think we've told the listeners this yet. You are now an assistant principal at an elementary school. So you, yeah, we didn't get around to that. Yeah. So you, the job led to uh, career advancement yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, so my grad school programming set me up. I was fortunate enough to get an interview uh, and got a job at a, a very good school district. Um, and I would say that it, it definitely set me up to succeed and be in this role. And that brought a whole new fear of not being able to do what you're supposed to do. You know, when you switch districts, I was known in my school district because I had worked with the same people for nine years. Uh, you go somewhere new, no one knows who you are. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what you accomplished at your old school or who you are in that school and the kids that you impacted. What are you going to do here? Mm -hmm. So that was always pretty, first couple of years were hard for that because 
you're trying to find your way um, and you always had those relationships and the people you fell back on that they're not there then. So you, you know, you have to feel the pressure and the discomfort of being an outsider for a little bit in order to ever be an insider. Um, but people don't like that feeling. You know, we, we try to avoid discomfort. And so it's hard to make that change knowing that, you know, there's going to be some lonely weeks there. Um, but knowing that in the end, it's going to be a better position for you. And we could probably have a whole conversation and maybe we could at some point of our fear of discomfort because it, it seems like it's becoming even more prevalent in society, but especially when I think a lot of people stop from making changes that are really beneficial to them or taking risks because of that fear of discomfort and it holds people back because it is, you know, we kind of want to get into our little tribes or our little groups or our groove so that it's consistent and we know what to expect. And so it's, it's crazy how much small changes and big changes can shake up that feeling of comfort. Absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah. Okay. So if you were going to have a conversation today with Stephen before he applied for either of those grants, what would you tell him? Hmm. I think the biggest thing would have to be, you have to get past your own self-doubt at some point because it will cripple you beyond anything anyone else could ever do to you is your own fears will hold you back and keep you from living the life that you could live. Um, I think it's a cliche thing to be like, just go try something new because there's so much, as you said, self doubt and fear that if I make the wrong decision, how much adverse impact will this have? But in the reality of it is whatever decision you make, you're pushing yourself to further your capacity and change, which, at the end of your life, I think everyone looks back saying, I'm glad I tried X, Y, and Z. No one ever says, I'm glad I sat here and didn't do anything, but I was really comfortable at all times. Um, I think that I would tell myself to expect that discomfort more and be okay with it. Uh, I definitely struggled with that immensely of um, just feeling like I didn't fit in, not knowing where my place was. I was so comfortable with always knowing my place before that I I think I got so caught up on knowing that, that it created more problems for me internally. And I would have been better off just acting like myself all along. But I feel like I put, I put up walls myself because I wasn't sure how to handle the situation and that just didn't work. So I think um, entering situations where you are true to who you are, as opposed to trying to come across more, you know, professional. And I think we have these things that we imagine that we're supposed to be all the time when in reality, you're hired for who they see in you and the person you are. They can train you in any way, but you can't lose yourself in that moment. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I know in some of the environments that I've been in, you hire, there's character, competence, chemistry, and um, there's one more C. I know in the church context, we call it calling. So like, do you feel like you have a calling to do this? There's a lot of competencies that you can teach. Character and kind of who you are as a person is it's it is either there or is it isn't there. I mean, you can work to try to develop some of your characteristics and to grow as a person. But, you know, kind of who you are, that is what it is. So I think there's also something like I, I know that I can relate to this in moving from Indiana that when you're in those circles that you are known or you're known in your relationship to other people. So like we both grew up in a situation where everybody knew 
who our parents were to a degree. Like there were some circles that we were in where we were always, you know, like our parents' child. And I know for a while, for me, I was always your sister. And so when you move out from that, where who your family is means nothing to anybody else, where they're like, that's nice. That means nothing to us, where you kind of stretch yourself in those ways. There's a lot of growth that can happen from that. And I know that's not everyone's situation, but. Well, I think it goes back to, I mean, I think one of my biggest hangups was when I left that school and I came um, to this job, I remember one of the biggest things that hurt was I used to have kids that would walk over to the middle school to hang out with me. Um, so at all times when I had kids from the middle school in my, in my room talking to me, or I'd go watch them play sports or kids from the high school to reach out. And I loved that. That was why I got into teaching. And when I started this, I was like, that doesn't exist. There's that's gone. I mean, they might shoot me a email or send me a letter, but that's gone. But the reality of it is the first year or two I was there, that didn't exist there either. Mm -hmm. But I think we remember these moments and hang our hat on, well, those were really great moments. They were always weren't that like, but we are really good about being like, well, this is the thing I love the most. I don't want to let it go. Yeah. But we have to realize that it always takes time. Um, And I think that's something that I've learned too. Yeah. I heard a quote the other day by Carrie Nywolf, Newhoff. Sorry, I always say his name wrong. If you saw how it's spelled, (laughs) you would say it wrong too. (laughs) Carrie Newhoff. He said, people always crave what they've known. So you don't crave food you haven't eaten yet. Like you don't sit around Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, I cannot wait to try. I can't think of anything specific right now. You crave like home cooking or you crave some meal that you love. And I think we do that also relationally that we crave, you know, we crave the comfort that we we had in the past too, I think, because that that's known and that's familiar. It could be our way as humans that we, uh, you know, navigate a world that's full of a lot of tough times. You know, you lean on things that feel good or felt good. For sure. For sure. Well, I don't want to take up more of your time because I know you've got, you've got stuff to do. Um, but I, this was such a good conversation and I really appreciate it. Loved it. it. Yeah. I think something I would just share with the listeners is, I mean, I, goodness, I'm so lucky uh, in having you for a brother. But I think one of the ways that you have encouraged me is um, of all the people next to my husband in my life, you are the one that's most verbal about your pride and your encouragement of me. And that just means so much. And I know that because you have taken a lot of risk and you have stretched yourself, like the thing I love about you is, well, let's apply. Like I might get it. What if I don't get it? Like, okay, I just tried. And so that has encouraged me to go for stuff that I probably wouldn't have gone for before. Um, so mm-hmm. I I appreciate that you you actually le- you paved the way for me in that. Well, yeah, and I learned a lot from watching you grow up because you always had all the details and were organized on how to approach things. A lot of times I would just approach things and miss all of that. So we work well together. <laughs> we do. I want to ask you one last question. Um, and this is how I'm hoping to end all of my shows. Can you give our listeners the reason why your work and your education and the chances that you've taken was all worth it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think when I was a teacher, um, I developed those relationships with kids that were so strong. And I loved that. Um, that was what I hung my hat on every day was, you know, those kids came to school and they felt like they were in a community and they loved being you know, in class together. And we always emphasize that every day that, you know, we can't control outside this classroom. In this classroom, we are a family that takes care of each other. Um, And I feel like now that I'm understanding my role and I'm more comfortable with who I am and in this position, I think, you know, this job 
a lot of people always assume this is principles disciplinary and that is not always true. Um, I've really put a lot of time into trying to make sure I develop relationships with kids and my friends that are in here a little more frequently, I call them my, my clients. Um, <laughs> if they're, if they're in here a lot, you know, you have to really lean on those abilities you developed younger uh, in younger years as a teacher about how you make them feel that they're really important because it's okay that I develop a really strong relationship with them. It just looks different than it did when I was a teacher. Um, but to these kids, they need strong relationships, if not more important than, than kids in a general classroom, because they're obviously craving a certain attention they're not getting. So how do you help them fill that void in a healthy way where they can still learn it? You're talking elementary kids. They can correct this behavior to keep themselves out of a world of pain as they get older. So I think that would be um, the main thing. And it was definitely all worth it. I, I look at my position now. I'm really happy in my job. Uh, I have a lot of fun. I like the people I work with. Um, and I feel like we, we go above and beyond to make an impact on kids, whether it's in a pandemic or whether it's an ordinary spring day, we're, we're doing everything that we can to make sure uh, kids are given the best opportunity they can to have great educational experiences and, you know, form relationships that'll carry through, carry them through those hard times as well. Very cool. Well, first of all, two quite well, two things. One, will you come back at some other point? Of course. Okay. Yep. You know where to find me. <laughs> I do. I do. I have your contact information. But secondly, I couldn't be proud of you, prouder of you. So thanks for being my brother and Same my friend. You and thanks for thanks for getting this kicked off. I'm pr I'm proud of you for starting it up. Thanks. So. You are our first our first interview. I hope you've enjoyed today's interview with Stephen. He's delightful. I truly feel like I hit the sibling jackpot to say the least. Next week on our show, I am going to be talking to my friend Molly. And it's a conversation I really think a lot of people are going to benefit from. So make sure you're subscribed so that you get the podcast delivered straight to your phone when we download it. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. And just remember, it will be all worth it. <laughs>